Welcome back, Rampants, to the SAS Ramp Podcast. I'm your host, Podcast Pete. Welcoming Jim LaPuma to the show today. Jim is Chief Revenue Officer at Seven Shifts. Welcome to the show, Jim. Hey, Pete. Great to be here. Yeah, fantastic to be here with you. Yeah, you guys, I do have to like tell you what you're missing because I don't have the video anymore. We have got we've got some amazing sports memorabilia in behind Jim. I know this is audio only, but you want to tell them what you've got right back there before we dive in and get really roll up. The I don't want to alienate people here, but there's some Yankee paraphernalia up on the wall there. There's the core four signed. But my office, I have an office here that's just got a lot of things from my upbringing here. So whether it's things that happen in football or hockey or immaculate reception with Franco Harris or Peyton Manning pictures and things that were, uh, were pretty important to me. So I collect those just for fun. So you can't live in this world now without like admiring people's background and be like, I love what you have in your zoom background. What about your zoom background? You know, those kinds of things. <laughs> for sure. It's a special one. Well, this is a podcast. So we get right kind of into some of these challenges from your take then Jim biggest challenge last six months or so? Yep. Great. Thanks. So I'll start by sharing a little bit about what we do, because I think that will point people toward what our biggest challenge is. So my company is Seven Shifts and we are team management for restaurants. And so what does team management for restaurants mean? It's all the heavy lifting things that restaurant operators have to do to operate their business. It will go anywhere from communication with the staff, scheduling, time clocking, compliance issues, tip pooling, tip distribution, payroll, et cetera, all those things that are really important to a business to operate that take a lot of time that are not the sexy things that happen within a restaurant, but super important. So as you ask the question around the biggest challenges last six months, it really is the industry more than anything else. Many of us come from the restaurant industry and care deeply about the restaurants that we serve. And there is no industry that's been harmed more than what's taken place over the last few years for restaurants. And the vast majority of that has nothing to do with them. It has to do with circumstances. And so we fight every day to try to help them get time back and get some opportunities to earn better. This is a way to do it, give time back in their life. Yeah. So you always hear that about restaurant industry, like just as a bystander, having never been in it whatsoever, just always hear like, hey, this thing's tough, it's a grind, there's certain hours. And then if you do it for passion, you're probably more into cooking, like you maybe you're a chef, something along those lines. And then all these things you mentioned, those are not, those are distinctly not, you know, like sous chef type activities. And then I pandemic come along and like that is the thing that just got smashed. Yeah. Um, and it pains us on their behalf. I mean, we serve our customers. We are dedicated to the restaurant industry. They are the center of our communities and we are focused on helping them thrive and come out of this. Many didn't make it and those that did, they probably went without. They probably went without vacations. They probably went without robust you know, Christmases with their families or holidays for their families. So we take our role and responsibility very seriously. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful to know. And again, this is like a first deep dive into like a restaurant business from SAS Angle that I've ever gotten. So always interesting to learn and like, of course, just like be a little bit more aware of like which industries are, have been still impacted from these things in recent years. Yep. Okay. Then, uh, then you're a chief revenue officer, so CRO. So I know you've got a million things on your mind at all times, which is what makes the question interesting. But if you had to kind of boil that down, boil it down to one thing you had to get right in order for your org to grow, what would you say that might be? Yeah, great question. I think, you know, I joined here end of last year. I was an advisor for seven years for the organization. So I saw it at its infancy 
and I watched this progress of like winning awards and growing and doing great things and raising. And it was just a wonderful story about how it started and where it evolved to. And uh, I came on board at the end of the year and we're really in this massive scaling opportunity for our organization. And I'll use this term that I heard recently, which I thought was really interesting. It's a French culinary term called mise en place. And mise en place means you put all of your products together first. Like you would chop everything and you put it all together before you even start cooking. And so it's kind of the same way I think about our business. Like we had to put together the foundation first before we can really build here. So that's process. That's ensuring that we are all aligned on the mission, making sure that we're all thinking about things the right way, making sure that we are all saying things in the right way and we're saying it enough, but really process-driven, foundationally driven. So our mise en place is really about let's settle everybody in, bring this whole team together, make sure we are aligned, and then we grow from here. So that was, I think, the biggest thing was just, again, a level set on what we're doing here, why it matters, and, uh, and make sure that we're moving forward in the same direction. Ooh, that was, I love that mise en place because this is a restaurant term and it See? means the way you're putting everything together in advance, which is how you've kind of structured, like brought in process to really kicking off this next layer of growth. That's well, right. Yeah, I just, okay. So this, this, I love that. Dude, I did Yeah, dude, yes, yes. I'm not even mad that you used a French word. Like, I'm not even <laughs> That's good. Uh, any, so any background to that, like you're in the industry, you talk to people all the time, like how, how does that come about? Or is that something you're just like, Hey, I'm trying to put something together so people understand, grab an analogy or something like that. This yeah, might yeah, be yeah. I'm, in I'm into storytelling. I think it's an important part of what we do anyway, but I really, you know, and again, coming in here, the thing that you look for, most of the time I go into businesses and there's like, there's fires or there's things you have to fix or things that are broken, or you've got some bad apples, some people that just don't fit culturally or, you know, aligned with the vision and our character. That was not the case here. So I've given great gratitude to the people that I work with that predated me that brought in these tremendously talented individuals. It makes my life much easier. But then I spent, you know, before I even started, I was into Gong and I was listening to all these calls and I was starting to see the same thing. Like we were very product led. So it was always about these great products. And if you don't believe me, just Google it. You'll understand. You'll see videos. You'll see high grades. We have exemplary products for the industry, untouched by anybody else. But I was hearing a reliance on that. So there'd be a couple of technical questions. Then it would be great. Now, let me tell you about me. And we went right to like this product and that product. And it was always like we expected people to be able to assimilate that with ch challenges or pain that they might have. And so I immediately brought the whole team together and I was like, we have to have a conversation here. And I really, you know, I, there's so many analogies I'll use here, but the one I really think about is from the medical profession. And I think about, imagine going into a doctor and the doctor said, you go to the doctor and say, I have pain in my side. And the doctor says, well, lay down here. I'm going to cut you open. And I'm going to check out what it is inside of there. That would be a massive malpractice problem. Well, it's the same thing in sales. It's like, if we don't, uncover the needs or the pain, like where is this stemming from? What is this issue? What does that mean to you? What pain might that cause to you? And we just race right to the products that we have and we're trying to get them to put those two together. We're missing the boat. So what I really want to do is be, you know, really specific on the front end, a discovery, a really meaningful discovery that pulls all that out. We use this term, the power of three, get three points of pain, and then you're allowed to move forward to the demo. 
And in that demo, then you're very surgical about what you present. It's not like here's 20 products we have. It's here's the three pieces of pain. You tie down to it, then you tie back to it. Like, remember when you said this? Here's how we solved it. You're not alone. Others feel the same way. So that's really the way we think about it is just to be very specific about them, their pain, not me. And then how can I solve that pain? And this is really interesting. This is a little bit like meta, but just to like recap. So you came in to the organization, though you were an advisor, but you're coming in like a very full-time role. It's a different, it's always a different step. You did discovery and then you focused in after that on discovery. So it was just this like, is this yeah. dive in. You brought up Gong.io, obviously, like I'm very familiar, of course. And so anybody in the audience using a revenue intelligence tool, going through and just reviewing call after call. I know you a little bit now. And I'm like, I know he listened to like 30 calls. Like I just, I already sense it about yeah, you. I try to do it every day. I think if people aren't doing that and you have that tool, boy, you're missing out because, you know, Pete, you and I talked about this before. It's like often people rely on training to do the heavy lifting for them. Training is the start of the process. It's like, you have to do that to set the foundation, but then you have to just make sure that you're on top of it, you're reviewing, you're playing this you know, repetition play, you're reinforcing, you're recognizing where you need to recognize, but the real work comes after the training. And Gong is a tremendous tool, or any tools like that, tremendous tool to see if it's sticking. 21 days to form a habit, you need to make sure people are on this and they're practicing it and it's uncomfortable and it would be really easy to go back to the old way I want them to stay on it and be uncomfortable and make sure that we're going about our business the right way. I, that's why I liked your mnemonic, like the, or however you referenced it as the power of three, because there's a thing that happens in their mind at that point. They're like, oh, I've actually got to keep going. You know, I don't have it yet. So it's not remember how to say this or you have to. It's just like, I don't have three things yet. Let's move it in there before they can kind of. just It's there, by the way. It's there. You just have to be patient. Like people want to race to this outcome. I hear people say, I need to get a closer on my team. I'm like, no, you don't. You need to get an opener. We need somebody who can engage meaningfully, ask logically, logically progressive questions and move those conversations in a natural direction. And then the close takes care of itself. All too often it's about, let me tell you about me, let's close. And the person doesn't feel any reason to do it. There's no compelling reason for them to move forward. That all happens on the front end here. So that's what I'm very focused on, very meticulous and, and programmatic about front-end conversations are the most important part of any sales call. Yeah, you hear that so frequently. And I mean, and obviously they'll put it side by side. You'll get some analytics. You'll see the win rates go through the roof. And it's, you know, it's a lagging indicator at that point. But if they're doing, you know, doing the correct sure. type of discovery. Yeah, Pete, we've yeah. seen it. Like after we ran this training, I mean, we are seeing our conversion rates go up and we're still not where we need to be. So it's again, repetition, recognition. Like we will take good calls. I will play them for the team. We will put them in Slack channels. so People can yeah. listen to good discoveries. Like we're just constantly making sure that we're programming well. Yeah, that's so. And that was the other point I heard you mention. Like you, you mentioned on a previous call we had kind of just setting up and I was like, oh yeah, because it's like my enablement heart. We were like, hey, it's not so much the training, but what comes after is that reinforcement. There's this statistic because like it's SKO season. So everybody's doing their kickoff. It's like 87% of initial training is lost in 90 days. And it's not that some is lost, it's that like 87% is astoundingly much, so ridiculously much. And so to go in and like have that understanding and want to reinforce is really huge to, to kind of understand that as a sales leader too, because sometimes it's about the result. We did it, great, can we move on? We gotta take sure. some, and For it can sure. get lost. Can I share a story? I think it's an important story. It's 
I know you and I spoke about this prior, but it's this book, Chop Wood, Carry Water. It really gets at this topic here. So I, you know, I follow Penn State wrestling and wrestled in my youth. And I just, I love everything about Penn State wrestling. And I like the team so much. I was really in favor of this guy named Nick Lee. Nick Lee was not supposed to win. Like he was good. He was really good. And Penn State's an exemplary team, but he was going up against this guy named Jordan Ironman from Iowa. And Iowa, you know, Iowa is a wrestling hotbed. And he ended up beating him, which was just like this, it was like David and Goliath kind of, like when you look at the two guys, you're like, wow, Ironman's just a beast. And afterwards, he comes off the mat, he's sweaty, he walks over to the announcer, the announcer's like, Nick, it's unbelievable that you won, like, proud of you, blah, blah, blah. What's next? He goes, as of Sunday, chop wood, carry water. And I'm like, what is it? What is this chop wood, carry water thing? So immediately, my mind is like, what is he talking about? And then I heard him on another interview, and I'm like, oh my God, now I get it. So I bought this book, and it's required reading, by the way, for everybody that works with me now. It's called Chop Wood, Carry Water by Joshua Metcalf. And the premise of it is a very quick book, very quick read, but it talks about this kid that wanted to go be a samurai marksman or samurai archer. And he ends up going to a faraway land. He's working with his sensei. He gets there and he's like, okay, where's the range? Where do I start shooting? And the guy said, hey, man, it's not the way it works here. Like you have to chop wood, carry water. We have a community here and you have to do these fundamental things before you, you get the right to move forward into that. And so the story, I won't ruin it for everybody, but it's, I have 50 pages marked of things in there. We'll meet my leaders and I will talk about these things, but it comes back to this idea of a little bit every day, bite-sized chunks, repetition daily, consistency in your process leads to the outcome. Often people think about the outcome, but it's really all these series of consistent activities that lead to that outcome. Behaviors plus activities equals results. And when you're looking down the road at like my quote is this, it's like, I don't think about that. What I think about is what am I going to do today to help people? And that will compound itself to get me to where I have to go. If I do well by others, the universe will deliver back to me, but it's a daily, a daily discipline toward doing the right things. Yeah, that's that. Is, I've never heard of that book. That's really cool. It's like that one. I'll see if it's on Audible as well. Could you mention that? And I was intrigued and now got to kind of really check that out. Chop wood, carry wood. Okay, you have an interesting background because you, I mean, there's a, you brought up sports a couple of times. I mean, it's hard to tell which sport because you mentioned seven of them so far. So you might just be an enthusiast all around. <laughs> but what, what are the personal experiences, professional too, but what led to this, this growth into the role of, of a chief revenue officer? I know plenty of our listeners would like to be there one. Yeah. Some already are, but like, yeah, what's that, what's that pathway? Just all college, yeah. right? You just major yeah, in college. Yeah, I won't go too deep, but I will say, you know, so much is about like how you were brought up. Like what were your, so I'm a, a traditional middle child, older brother that could do no wrong and a younger sister. And here was this guy in the middle, always trying to fight for, you know, his crumbs. So it was like, it was that I think was like, I really had to always fight and scrap. So I had that in my blood pretty much. And then, you know, I came out of college and I was just like trying to figure, and I didn't say, I didn't even know what sales was. I did know this when I was umpiring baseball games. Mr. Lombardo would pull up in his Cadillac. I'm like, what does that guy do? Because I kind of want to be that. And I knew he was in sales. So I was like, this is interesting. I had thought about it. So here I am, you know, I come out of college. I end up in a sales role and I worked my way through many different companies, SMB driven, mid-market enterprise, startup, scale, Fortune 500, and everything in between there. And it's been a long career. It's been a great career in many different ways. 
But I always believe that, you know, there's some things I miss. Like there's a couple opportunities I could have taken that are companies that people know that I passed on. I laugh about that because I'm where I'm meant to be at this moment. So I'm grateful. I live a grateful life. And, uh, but I've had broad experience. And what I did know is I liked scaling. What I did know that I liked taking it from one point to another point times four or five X. Like that was always fun to me. There were some things that were in place that needed to be fixed, needed to root into a solid foundation and a really strong playbook, and then you move the needle. So I've really focused on this idea of scaling. It's the most fun for me. That's cool. That's interesting. Yeah. So, so just one more on that one then. How did you know that? Did you find yourself in an opportunity where that needed to happen? Is it just the idea of growth from like a sports background of like, hey, look, I'm lifting five pounds. I'd like to lift 10. Like, like how do you know that? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's just having done it enough, like I've been in a bunch of companies and you're like, you know, sometimes you have to go through it to realize what you really like and what you might not like as much. Like I have worked in big company, big companies before and you make a lot of money, but you're, you may not feel challenged or you may not feel like you're hurt or you can make an impact. And then when you're in a startup, it's like you talk about scrappy, you don't have, you know, you got to make sure you keep the lights on. So you have to really hustle. So so that's the other part of it. But at a scale, it's like exciting. There's investment coming in your business. You know where you're at. You know where you want to go. You have the resources to a pretty solid degree to be able to take that on. So I really just feel like you come in and you're like ready to go and you build a team. You bring a great group of people together and you have a great product. You got a really good chance here. I mean, you get through Series C and you know, you're in a place here where you can do some really good things on behalf of those whom you serve. And uh, that's really what I really enjoy that. I find that too, like growth is exciting, but I, you know, I don't want it to be an, like an echo chamber, but it's just like, it's the, those things are when you move from one thing to the next, you know, it's why acceleration in a vehicle is much more fun than just traveling on the interstate or whatever at well, for 70, sure. 80 miles an hour. Then seven shifts, seven shifts, it's got some, some growth behind it. Obviously you like doing that and that's why you've come on full bore. What, what's the context for hyper growth there? Like, why are you guys taking off the way you are? Like what's happening yeah. Yeah, thank you. I think, you know, I have been in businesses where the product has been good and we've had to work really hard to make that work. I will never represent a product I don't believe brings value, but there are some technical limitations in some businesses. That is not the case here. The product solves a problem. It is an amazing product, unlike anybody else. So to be able to come in as a seller or running a CS team, running a marketing team, like you have a lot to work with here. So I, I think about that as being like, you have that together. Now it's a matter of the other pieces, which is people in process. Cause you have the, you know, one of those big P's, which is, which is the product side of it. So that's, what's exciting about this. There is a need in an industry that suffered that we can help. And that's just a, a fueling to me. I think, you know, we have a mission statement that we have. I've changed and really thought, try to convince my team around this idea of a rally cry. And that rally cry is really about helping an industry that's been hurt. We owe them and we have a product that solves that. And I think if you can anchor to a mission and everybody aligns to that mission of what we're trying to accomplish, it's a pretty exciting moment. Then you go one deeper and you're looking at each person's why. What are you in it for? What are you fighting for? And you build off of that. But that combination of personal why and organizational why is pretty powerful. It fuels people, I believe, beyond compensation. I think if you really want something, you feel like you can help, and in turn, you have good things coming to your family. It's a, it's a huge win. That's where we're at right now. 
Okay, that's very cool. Very cool. So the product's in place and you can come in and work with the things that are a little bit more like more malleable typically for a, for a sales leader as well, which is the people in the process. Although it can be a, it can be very difficult as well, but it's just, it's one of those things that you probably have a, like a calling for or a bent for, which sounds really, really mm -hmm. cool. The last thing you just mentioned, like when you're starting to get into a couple of these whys, this is, this is kind of like feeling a little familiar to me around some of the books you've written. So, so for audience, if you don't know, Jim, haven't seen them on there, two-time leadership book author, that first one, first one, lead from the front. Would you, would you tell us a little bit about that book and maybe how it loops into what you're doing today? Yeah, thanks. We appreciate that. So when I decided I wanted to write, it was really about experiences and helping other leaders. I really enjoy mentoring, you know, people that are getting into the business, like what you're trying to accomplish here and you are accomplishing greatly is this idea of trying to pull people through those learnings. The first book was really, it's 101, I call it quips, quotes, and anecdotes. And it's just like stories. It's like the way that I want to read is I'm not a big volume reader, you know, like I want quick hit things that I can pocket and run along with. I had somebody had told me once, it's like, you come across people as like this smorgasbord and there's a whole bunch of things on there and you decide what you want. That's what this book was. There's 101 different things that are just quick hit stories, you know, that are, I think, important to future leaders, people that want to go into leadership most specifically, and even sales leadership skewed heavily. So the first one was a lot more, a lot more, you know, had my heart in it, you know? And the second book was much more what I would call mechanical. It was much more about like, like the pieces, like what do you do now in these, you know, in, in your business to be extremely successful? So two very paths there, but both with, you know, very similar themes in there. Who do you serve? Serve them well. Understand the people you serve is why and make sure they are your customer and that you deliver for them. Because if you deliver to them, everything else takes care of itself. I don't care what my quote is. What I care about is each of my people being successful. And I want to pull, and I do this with my managers. I have it tied to their compensation. It's like pull everyone across the line, make a lot of money. Pull, you know, sometimes you get this, you hit it big and you're like standing back as the hero or heroess. And, you know, it's like you had one person who carried it. Like, I think our responsibility as leaders is to pull everybody across the line. Like, that's our game. It's our, otherwise, we fail them. If they have a why and it's part of it is being successful to satisfy that why, mm -hmm. then our responsibility as a leader is to pull that through. And I use this term a lot. Leadership is a privilege. And I want my leaders to understand how important of a privilege that is. So I invest in them. The leadership is the flywheel. I want them to be like, they influence the whole business. That is the most important arm of a business, in my opinion, is frontline leadership. And so... In fact, I'm off-site with them next week, but I'm, yeah. I'm really focused on their development because I know that they influence greatly to the people that they serve. That's cool. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for you guys to be able to do that, especially with kind of like the energy and enthusiasm that you bring to these pieces. The, the second book, you said it's a little more tactical, like called Pulling Levers, and you mentioned four Ps. I'd love to know more about those if you would kind of take us through those. Yeah. There's four P's, but there's two that are so super important. So let me give you all four of them. So people, like, I have seen companies succeed greatly with mediocre products and great people. I have seen great products fail miserably because they accepted mediocrity in their talent. So to me, it really is much more about this idea of you have to have great people. You have to. You cannot settle. You never settle on a B player. If you feel like you're on the fence, 
say no. Like you've got to focus on bringing the right team together that shares your vision, that is compassionate toward others, that goes to work every single day. So to me, people part of it is really important. Second P is passion. So they bring passion, right? And what does that mean? It's about caring. It's about caring what you do. It's about being a professional. It's about caring about those people whom you serve. It's a really important term to me. Servant leadership is a really important term. So that's the third part of it. And then the proposition, making sure that you have this tremendous proposition that you know you can deliver upon, that you bring value to those whom you serve. And then process, which I and people in process to me are cornerstones for a business. If you have great people, but you don't have a process, they can get frustrated or they can flail. If you have a process and you don't have people, it falls on deaf ears or it doesn't really take hold here. And uh, so I'm, I'm really interested in this idea of just bringing together great people, represent a great product passionately, and then follow a process or a playbook that's going to take them to the promised land for your organization. Yeah, that's very cool. So I, background in teaching, background in enablement. Some of this came from, uh, you know, I, I essentially taught because in college, undergrad, I was a pre-med. I didn't end up obviously taking that path, but like mm. if you're going to do well and take all that course load, you have to go teach yourself to study because you didn't have to really study in high school. It's just the way it goes. I taught high school. so I, And then, <laughs> you know, you put yourself through a process. Every night you go, you chop wood, carry water. Like that's kind of the same thing as it was. And you just get off to the library by yourself so nobody can come to the dorm room and bother you. And it's three hours every night, three hours every night, no matter what. That's right. Practice the next day, that kind of grind. But that process, putting that process around it allowed me to feel freedom. I actually felt more freedom from the process. And so later in the sales career, it was a career changer. And I went in hmm. knocking doors and trying to, and eventually they gave me a business development job. I sound, that sounded so good. Wow. Until they told me that, and then I'm like, oh, I've been in this call people all day. I was like, well. At least the kids aren't screaming in my ear while I'm doing it. They've got <laughs> That's right. Back there in the office. Uh, so everybody else was whining about it. And I was like, guys, did you have some of the cashews in LaCroix? It's, this is delightful. Uh, it's all relative. And that process, I had to teach myself. So I put together all these documents. And then when I was done with a role or I'd move into mid-market, whatever, I would pass back my little playbooks. And I, somebody eventually told me, like, you know, that's called sales enablement if you ever want to consider it. So I love a process and I feel like it allows a passionate person who might otherwise go off the rails into wherever to like stay focused, but like you can exist. So these things, they feel like they converge together for me. This is just a big aside, but like when you go through them, I'm picturing like this tight knit, intricate, you know, well-woven path. So that's, what's kind of cool about that to me. Yeah. I think you're spot on there. I think there's this saying that says that average people want to be left alone. Good players, good people want to be coached and great players want to be told the truth. And I think that's really an important, I kind of live by that. Like if you have people that are just like, hey man, I know what I'm doing. Just leave me alone. I'll do my thing. What happens in those situations is they get outside the guardrails. Then they start saying things the wrong way or they think they've got a better way. I think I'm really about like making sure people have their individuality in that. But to really try to control the variables. When I see somebody who goes into a funk, we all have had that before. It's usually because of either one of two things or both of them. They're not saying it right or they're not saying it. In, like I really, it's that activity, like is the activity there? And when you speak with someone, are you saying the right things? Are you behaving the right way as a professional adult? And are you guiding those conversations in a way that has self-discovery that leads to a relationship moving forward? And I think that's, to me, is that's why you meet great people because they want to be. Often, I hear managers just say, 
man, she's great. Just let her do her thing. And I think that is eventually going to be one of two things. She's either going to fall to the side or she's going to like get disenchanted because she's going to feel like, well, you don't spend any time with me. And so it's like you have to invest in your best people. You spend time with them. You, have, you give them responsibilities, guide them, craft their, you know, hone their craft to be the best they can possibly be. But I really am about that idea of like investment in people, invest in your leaders, help them become great leaders. I think when times get tough, people start to think about, I've got to cut training budgets. And I just am like, that is not the place you're cutting. That's the place you're doubling down on because that's where you develop people. And development is our responsibility as a leader. And that's where, you know, investing in the right people really makes a difference for your business. If you pull back on that, it's just, it, they will lose interest. They will move on. That's the way I think about it. Yeah, that's a good point. That's, so you got this combination of things going on. So I'd love to get like a little bit in the weeds, if you're willing, on one particular place. So you invest a lot in your leaders, like your frontline managers, and then you're a heavy user of gong. A lot of our audience members are, for some reason, software industry in general, like just, uh, they seem to love this particular software and there's multiples of them. They seem to choose that one. But how do you leverage it to, uh, to help drive coaching of your frontline managers or conversely, choose either one, sh like teach them how to use it for their reps? Is there a particular thing that you kind of enjoy doing with it? Yeah, I think, as I mentioned, we really try to highlight this. So we put it in open forums to share like really good portions, discovery most specifically. I don't concern myself with the close. I mean, those, that's a natural extension and it's a question. But it's, to me, it's really about the front. So I emphasize that the managers, we ask them to do two gong calls a day. Now, gong calls usually last about 30 to 35 minutes. They have to weave that in and they have to give robust feedback. So we would judge our managers based on the feedback that they're providing. We all have a view into what that looks like. Again, if we really do believe we serve others to serve them properly, to serve their why, you have to give feedback there and help them to help guide them. And, and you know, if you're in a field sales role and you're side by side, you're seeing that if you're decentralized and people are working from their home, you don't have a line of sight in that. You need a tool to help you with that. That's why yeah. Gong or others are really important to a business so that you can help people become successful. And again, if they're not successful, you can have reports that'll show how many calls are making, how many demos they're doing. You can figure all that out, but it's the, it's like the quantity part of it. You can measure the quality part you need to look at. You need to see that or else you're just blindly hoping they're saying the right things. So to me, it's like manager responsibility to, again, it goes back to servant leadership. You serve your people, you know what their whys are, you know what they're fighting for every day. You have to help them on both the guide on the quantity side and guide on the quality side. You're doing a good thing for your reps and your managers by doing that, like having that top down lean in because it is hard. Like uh, if you're an IC on this call, like you probably don't know yet, but just when you have people underneath you and you're trying to, he's talking about an extra hour per day of listening to something on yet another audio, it's hard to listen to those calls consistently like that. You build the muscle, but it, it's sore for a while for sure. So um, for sure. not a lot of like people are like, Hey, go do that amount. It might be a uh, two a week or one yeah. a week or when you get to it or diagnosing a problem after it's done. You know what I mean? It's not that. Yeah. And, out you know, if but. exactly. If you're on a monthly goals business, every day is worth 5%. So to me, it's like, if you're not viewing for a week, you lost 25% of the month. Good luck hitting that number. And to me, it's really more about like, 
catch it at one day, like catch that call, correct it so next day it's better. It's okay to have a bad day. It's not okay to have two or three or four or five bad days in a row. So you really want to make sure that you're just, it's in, it's chop wood, carry water. Every day you're doing your job in the right way. Say it enough, say it right, and just make sure that we're giving adequate feedback there. That's how we run a machine. That's cool. That's cool. Okay. I love that. It runs me the, uh, they say like, I forget the number, but it's like when a rocket goes to the moon, like they're always off course and they just keep pivoting at that 1% back and forth. Yeah, it like nice. fails this way to the moon or something. Yeah, that's right. Not that we've been to the moon in a while, but still. <laughs> okay. Then this will be one that is good, is super simple or maybe not. Maybe it's so many potential leadership moments that it's hard to pick just one, but do you have of, of the years of service, do you have a favorite leadership moment? You know, I think it's funny. I don't know. A few weeks ago, I was just looking around in my LinkedIn, trying to figure out where some of my people are. I always work in the network, you know, if I can bring talent with me. I'm always in a recruiting mindset. And I started looking at so many different people that have gotten themselves to very high levels, you know, like my level or SVP levels. And they were ICs when I started a long time ago. But to me, those are the moments that I feel really good about. And then you get a note from somebody that says, man, you really influenced my trajectory. And I hadn't spoken to him in 20 years. I mean, I've been a VP for 20 plus years. So, you know, VP, SVP, CRO for 20, maybe 25 years, but I'm showing my age. But when you touch them, like, that's why I always say leadership is a privilege. I tell my managers that all the time, because something you say that might be something that's dismissed, you know, you dismiss it as just like me talking to somebody and they come back to you lots of years later and say, you told me this and it changed my trajectory. That to me is like, you got to watch what you say as a leader. You've got to make sure that you are thoughtful in the way that you represent because everything could influence that person. You can influence their future. And so I'm very, very take that role and responsibility very seriously. So I really think about leadership as like, you think about the coaching tree in football as an example, like all these people came from Andy Reid's, you know, coaching tree or any of the Bill Walsh's coaching tree. It's the same thing. Like, I think you're judged as a leader based on if you're able to build people up to become leaders like yourself and you leave it in a better place because you're bringing a bunch of people that are from your tree. I think that's where I take most, my biggest responsibility, maybe most pride. That's cool. You know, there's a, that's a bit of a double-edged sword because you do actually, if you, you know, you do build people up who will then go and leave an organization to go and carry it forward. So you kind of have to know there's this back and forth that like you'll be sending them onward because, you know, there's not always upward mobility every single week, month, year, whatever it happens to be at yours. So I do love it when a leader does that, especially when they're not naive to that exact point right there as well. That's right. Okay. This has been fantastic. Got the finale, you know, my, the little podcast wrap up there, but we always get some different answers for this one. So I got to ask it again. What does SAS ramp mean to you? Yeah, it's funny. We do get a bunch of different answers here because I listen to your podcast now religiously. I do appreciate the work you're doing. And so I really think about SASRAMP being your name and that to me is an important thing that you're doing there. I mean, this is a growing sector and it's great to have opinions and have other voices here and listen to them. I mean, I've listened to your podcast now and I'm like, I'm really blown away by the talent you're bringing in and I'm picking up nuggets. It's like I said, that smorgasbord, there's things I'm picking off of those. So I think what you're doing, Pete, is really important and keep it up. And I mean, all of us that listen to this should be amplifying this among our network to try to support someone like Pete, who's doing really good things, I think, for our community here. So I really do appreciate that. And then the word ramp, I always think about the word ramp is like, 
you know, let's go. I mean, there's a lot of people probably listening here and, you know, and I feel for their situations. They may be in a different situation than my organization, but I don't take that lightly on my end. I think we, we own our success and we, it is in our hands and, um, and we are very focused on treating that well and, and making sure we control our fate here. So I would just say the ramp part of it, we are in an exciting moment in our organization and we are ready to take that hill on behalf of those whom we serve. So I appreciate the work you're doing and, uh, and I'm excited about the work that we're going to do. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, I mean, just it's, I can just tell because you have enough of these conversations and things like that, just such a growth minded, but like servant oriented leadership style that you have, Jim. So I'm like really excited for all the people who are with you and around you and you can't see, so you don't actually see this. You must keep yourself in good shape. If you've been VP, SVP for 25 years, he's, he's looking young and spry. He's got many more until his wife says, no, <laughs> you're tired. Come on. You're coming home. You know what? You're only as old as you feel. And I've been blessed with health and, you know, I like, I ride distances on my bike. Like we will ride distances and we'll ride, you know, ride for a charity we might be doing. I'm, I'm training to do, go cross country from California to DC. So, but I've got to retire first. So we've got to, we've got, we've got some work to do first, but in a few years I'll be doing that. But that's my focus. You hear it. When you hear seven shifts goes IPO, you'll know that he was ready to get that bike underway. I'm on a bike. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Well, that's tremendous. Yeah, thank you so, so much for it. I really appreciate it on behalf of our audience and uh, looking forward to doing this again in 18 months when, you know, when the next phase is happening, because that's awesome. what happens when you grow that fast. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time with you and your audience.